initially I played keyboards not very well, and then eventually when a guitar player would leave, I jump on the guitar. Okay. Drummer would leave, I jump on the drums. Man, I woke up one day, Jamie, Jamie Hausberg. I woke up one day in Lawton, Oklahoma, and the whole damn band was gone. You hear me? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Chic Compass Connection. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the window of the popular Chic Compass magazine, where we feature art, music, design, fashion, dining, and all things chic for the culture-starved audiences of the world. To view our magazine online, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. I'm your host, Jamie Hosmer. Let's introduce today's guest. Earl Turner says he cannot recall a moment without music in his life. Earl is a multi-talented singer, songwriter, musician, dancer, and actor who has performed in many legendary Las Vegas hotels, such as the Dunes, the Sands, the Aladdin, and the Desert Inn. He has also been a regular performer at the Excalibur, Luxor, Caesars Palace, and the Rio, where in 2001, the hotel took the unprecedented step of successfully converting Earl's Lounge Show into a ticketed nightly event. His success at the Rio led to a string of headlining showroom gigs, from the showroom at the Rio in Vegas all the way to headlining at Harrah's in New Orleans. Currently, Earl is performing and traveling the world as a headliner for Royal Caribbean International while still maintaining his residency in Las Vegas, the city he calls home. Earl Turner, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So good to have you, man. Um, so, all right, we're currently in 2021. We're still technically in the COVID era, but we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. But before we talk about, about the now, I want to go way back because, because you got your start at age 13, if I'm correct. Right. Yep. So... <laughs> And you were playing bass. <laughs> yeah. All right. So tell yeah. me about the Earl White review. Tell me about that. Okay. So now when you go, so when you go back to 13, that was my brother, uh, my brother and. Oh yeah. Uh, the Earl White review was actually a little bit later. Let's go back to, let's yeah. go back to when, okay. Let's go back to when you got your start at age 13. Yeah. So that was my brother and a friend of mine who played guitar. I think all the guys. All the guys who played musical instruments when I was growing up, and there weren't that many, three or four of us, all of them wanted to play guitar. So, and where did you grow up? I grew up in a little town called Fayette, Missouri, which is ex which is almost uh, exactly between Kansas City and St. Louis, just off of I seventy. I seventy is the highway that runs practically across the country from one end to the other. Uh, I grew up. I was thirteen miles from I seventy, right between Kansas City and St. Louis. The town I grew up in was. About 3,000 people. Small, small, small town. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so in my life, uh, when DeBio talks about, I can't remember a time when there was a music. There was always music. My grandmother uh, was a uh, piano player. Uh, she was a gospel piano player. Actually, what I learned later on was that she was actually, actually uh, very trained. She didn't pick it up by ear. She actually could read music. And she okay. She my and this was my great grandmother. Pardon me. She actually went to college for a short period of time, which put that into perspective. Now, this is my great grandmother. She was born in the late 1800s. So for her to have attended wow. any type of college as a black female was pretty extraordinary. But that's amazing. Yeah. So at any rate, she she played in the church. And of course, we had to go to church. My mother uh actually played piano, and my father sang and played a little bit of guitar. But if you know anything about guitar, he tuned the guitar to an open E, uh, so he could basically play major chords. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. So, so, so that, the whole, he, he could just strum it open and boom, and it was an E yeah, chord. Yeah, 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 and then bar it and go up, you know, the set and the other, and, yeah. and so forth. But it's interesting because when I picked up the guitar, of course, I picked it up exactly the way, that's, what, that's the way my dad played. So okay. like that. So I've got this guitar, right, Jamie? And the guitar is bigger than I am. Okay. Okay. Who's the guitar? And sure. I'm plunking this thing and plunking, and I'm learning to play songs. 
that are really hard when you're tuned to an open E like Day Tripper, you know, the Beatles, down, 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 yes. down. That's hard to figure out when you, yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. But they didn't play it like that, right? <laughs> so, so I'm playing, and I'm playing one day on, on the front porch, and we had a porch swing. How country can we be? We had a porch swing, and my dad comes home from work, and he walks up on the porch, and he says, boy, why don't you tune that guitar up the right way and learn to play the guitar? <laughs> so okay. I went and got, I went to the Mattingly store and I got the Mel Bay guitar book. Do you nice. know about Mel Bay? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, all right. That is the license right there. <laughs> so you get the Mel Bay guitar book and it teaches you how to tune the guitar. And that's when I first started to learn about chords and this, that, and the other. Oh, fantastic. So in that band, I played bass because I had to. Now, I say that, you're going to hear me say that over and over again as we talk. A lot of things happen out of necessity. Okay. You know, it breeds invention. Yes, that's right. That's so, right. Nobody, so that was your brother, you and your brother playing together. My brother played drums and another friend of ours played guitar because that's the instrument that he wanted to play. That's the instrument he could play. Well, bass wasn't that hard to figure out to me, you know, and it was one string, so it was, you know, uh, right. a little bit, one string at a time for the most part. Yeah. So, so, that, so that's what it was. So and you grew up, there's always music around. Always. Your dad's playing music, your grandmother was playing music, your yeah. brother's playing music. So it's, it's in you already yeah. growing up. Yeah, it's in me. And, and I, but here's the thing, Jamie. As much as I loved music, I never thought about being a professional musician. Hmm. Never. Never dawned on me. I never envisioned myself being on stage. I never envisioned, <laughs> envisioned myself being a singer or a lead singer. Never. I just loved music. That's all. Okay. That's it. So uh, at, at, when you're 13 years old, mm -hmm. who... Who are you listening to? Who who were some of your idols at that point? Man, listen. Every time at, at that time, this is this is Tom Jones had a television show. Oh my no. God, he had that little. Well, we know SM fifty seven that pencil microphone, that cool mic. Yep, yep. Ooh. Tom Jones was killing it. James <laughs> Brown was the first concert I ever saw. But I'm listening to the Beatles. I'm listening to the Loving Spoonful. I'm listening to Jefferson Airplane. I'm listening to Iron Butterfly. I'm listening to everything wow. because everything. all that was AM radio. So whatever the popular songs were, you pretty much had to listen to them. It's not like today. So I heard country western music from not only my dad, but on the radio, uh, uh, particularly in Missouri, for heaven's sakes. In Missouri... You heard two types of music, blues, which was usually in the black community, and okay. country western. Okay. You know, and everything else you got from home or from television. And I would rush home to watch, you know, the, the Jackson 5 cartoon, you know, come on. Anything yeah. uh, that there was all, I had all those musical influences. And I, I got to tell you, my biggest musical influences were probably... Uh, aside from James Brown and Tom Jones as singers, probably Motown music and and the Beatles. Okay, you know, and 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 here's here, here's something that I that I think of often, often that I didn't realize. I had no idea the complexity of those of those songs. Mm. The sure. complexity of Motown music, the complexity of the Beatles. They were extraordinary. They, I mean, when you go back and really examine that music now, right? You know, who could imagine that that yeah. music could create that type of music? Yeah, I know they they really um, broke new ground. Yep, exactly. The Beatles, Motown, Barry yep. Gordy. Um, so, at what point? Uh, at what point did you realize? You know what? This is my path. This is my calling. I'm going to be on stage. This is what I'm going to do. It was uh, it was one of those things that happened out of necessity. Uh, <laughs> truth of the matter is, I got passed over for a job that I wanted, and I got passed over because that uh, because the 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 position I was in was the position that the company intended for me to be in. I had been hired, and it's it's 
it's it's funny when I think about it because the lady, the there were two black people in this entire company. The company's called MFA, and you may okay. have heard of it, uh, MFA Oil Company, MFA Tires, and so on and so forth. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's a it's a petroleum company, uh, for like an oil company, and I got a job there because of a friendship that my stepmother had with uh, with someone who hooked me up. But okay, sadly, I had to go be interviewed by the vice president of the company. I didn't go through. Well, we didn't have HR. I don't think we didn't have human resources. We had okay. Personnel is what we had. So, yeah, sure, so sure. we didn't have human resources. We had the personnel department in those days when you went to interview for a job. However, my interview, I found out, was from the vice president of the company. I'm thinking, okay. oh, this is cool. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, that, that's that's really cool, Earl. You know, the vice president's going to interview you. Yep. Looking back, what I realize now and what I realized a year or so later was that that wasn't the reason that I was being interviewed by the vice president. I was being interviewed by him because they wanted to see if I passed muster. They wanted to see if Mm. I would fit in. They wanted to see if I was the right type of black person they would like to employ because Mm. there was only one black female working there and she and I are still friends. And and there were there were no black males in the entire company. Now wow. they had three divisions. Uh, inevitably, I would perform uh, for them at the company parties or whatever. And so I okay. would know that there were no other black people. <laughs> what what position were you interviewing for? I did not know until they said we're going to start you off in the mail room. Okay, what's the mail room? And you know, place where the mail goes. <laughs> so, so I was in the mail room and, and, you know, I mean, there was nothing, there was nothing difficult about the job. You're sending packages, you're sending this, you're doing this. So you're acting like a, you're a mini post office there for the company. Okay. I had a really nice boss by the name of Vaughn Pugh and Vaughn was handicapped. Uh, he had obviously had polio. So he was, uh, you, he was uh, physically disabled. Hmm. I mean, in no other way, just physically in his one mm-hmm. side of his body was was disfigured, so to speak. But other than that, uh, there were there were no signs of him being in any way disabled, a dis- disabled person. But he okay. was the manager of the mailroom. So I was working with him and it wasn't a difficult job to figure out. I was the type of I was the type of kid or employee that, you know, I went in early. I like to get the work done and out yep. the way so I could do whatever I wanted to do. Yep. It's the same thing I did when I was growing up in high school. The same thing. My dad actually went to the school unbeknownst to me and asked my teachers, uh, why is it that Earl Jr. can come home and play this guitar all the time? <laughs> <You know? laughs> He's playing the guitar all the time. He's got the guitar in his hand all the time. Why is he coming home just playing the guitar? What are y'all doing? Y'all not giving him any homework? And they were like, no, Mr. Turner, he turns in his homework. He does it in class or he does it in study hall. So you so, did it. You got everything done because yeah, you wanted to you wanted to practice guitar. You wanted to. Right. So this job wasn't hard to figure out in the mailroom of the oil company. You know, there were things that would happen at, at, a reg- at regular intervals every other week or something like that. And I would go in, man, and just kill it. And I would oftentimes usually go in an hour early, you know. OK. I just like to get the work done, be done. OK. So nevertheless. Okay. I worked there for over a year, and eventually they hire another guy, uh, a guy by the name of Larry, a white kid who had obviously just come off the farm. Seriously, just come off the farm. Okay. Wow. This is a farm boy. And how so, you're old? How old at this point? I'm uh, 18. Okay. I just graduated high school. Okay. Uh, and uh, so, so I'm. Uh, I had said to the office manager and to my boss, Vaughn, I want to work in that room. It was the room where the computers were. And I was okay. pretty proficient at typing. I could do okay. 60, 70 words a minute. But back in those days, Jamie, a computer was a huge, monstrous machine with, <laughs> with tape, with what looked like recording tape, okay. reels yep. that would spin around. And you use what they called key punch cards. So okay. Cards that go in a key punch machine that has a typing keypad, 
and you type in the information, and then it goes on the key punch card, the computer or whatever this thing is reads the key punch card. That's where all of the accounts receivable, all of the information went out for statements and whatnot. They were okay. all on computer tape and on key punch cards. I wanted to work in there. Yeah. That's that's where I wanted to be. So, never okay. Stuff. I got my computer because I call this computer my Alexa's called computer. So whenever I computer, <laughs> she's like, "Hey, what's happening?" Uh, so at any rate, I wanted to work in there, and I had told my office manager, "When a job comes open in there, that's where I want to be. I want to go there." Well, at any rate, they hire Larry, and I don't know. Larry's there. I uh, maybe another six months. So I've been there maybe a year. Larry's on for another six months, and. Unbeknownst to me, a job opening comes in the computer room, in the accounts receivable department. And they offered the job to Larry. Oh. Yeah. And I was, uh, man, you know, I, you were, I was, oh yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was hurt. I was, I was right. pissed. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I could not believe it. Uh, and, and I went to the office manager and I said, I have expressed m- m- wanting to be in that, to work in that room, in that department, you know, and you guys offered the job to the guy who just came to work right. here under me. You guys offered the job. And of course he took it. He jumped at it. Right. Um, uh, so at any rate, they made what what I see now is, you know, just kind of bland excuses. But what I realize now, Jamie, is that I was hired by the vice president because I he thought that I would fit in. He thought I would be would be okay to hire this this black kid. Hmm. But their intent was for me to stay there. They didn't stay in the ma- stay in the mailroom. They intended for me to stay in the mailroom. Vaughn was uh, much older, not old enough to retire, but Vaughn because of his handicap, he couldn't do anything else in the company. He couldn't hmm. type you know, he had no use of, of one of his hands. Okay. There was nothing else he could do in the company except the mailroom manager job. And that's where their plans were for me to stay there. I mean, right. so, so at any rate, uh, so that was... Uh, so you had to make a decision then? Yeah, that was a turning point. I was like, I got to go. I got to go. Yep. yep. Strangely, uh, strangely, because I, I surprised myself in that... I don't know where that came from. I don't know exactly where that came from. Where the, 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 the thought that said, that's it, I have to go? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know where that came from. I, maybe it came from the anger. Maybe it came from the, uh, you know, the, the realizing now, oh, you guys just intend to keep me here, and I have. <clears throat> that is, that's not what I'm going to do. Now, let me ask you this. During this, you're in the mailroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you also performing? No. I, you're not I, performing at all? Well, I, I, I'm i playing my guitar. I have a okay. guitar, a Yamaha guitar, that I let a friend keep when I left town, and I wish I had it. Okay. But I'm playing my acoustic guitar. I have no case. Uh, okay. At those, at that time, Jamie, it was, it was a really... Um, it was a real. It's it's very similar to the time that we're in right now, where there's an awakening. So this mm-hmm. was after the Vietnam War was winding down. Uh, young people were very aware of what was going on in the world, particularly politically. Uh, there were there were marches. There there was a desire to understand the other person, your fellow man. Uh, okay. There was very much a a communication such as it was in the 70s, for mm. us to get along. I mean, Woodstock had happened a number of years earlier. Uh, it was it was cool to have a black friend. You got a white friend? I got a white friend, too. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> but it was cool. And particularly because the town that I was in now wasn't my hometown. It was a little town 20 miles away called Columbia, Missouri. And Cl- okay. Columbia, Missouri has three colleges. University of Missouri. It has a, a college called Stevens College, which was an all-girl college. That's co-ed. And they had Columbia College. So th- when college students would come to that city, uh, literally the population doubled. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So it was a time of, you know, make love, not war. 
You know, it was a time yep. where, you know, it was a time of that that whole freedom experience. You see, you know, I imagine a quarter of a million people, you know, uh, at that on that farm in Woodstock, and there were no fights, there were no disagreements, there was no nothing, just right. people just having a great time. Well, that's sort of the world that we were in as far as the younger generation was concerned. So I was a part okay. of that. So I would take so, the car and go down to Peace, what we call Peace Park and sit okay. in the park and play. Okay. Or go up to the church and, and, and sit on the church steps and play, you know. And, uh, and, and so that's how I wound up doing coffee houses. Okay, so... You quit your job. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. I quit my job. I left Columbia. Yeah. Okay. You quit your job. You leave Columbia. And then, okay, you start playing coffee houses. No, actually. Oh. When you asked me about performing uh, in Columbia, I, I I misspoke when I said, no, I wasn't. Yes, I was sort of okay. uh, in coffee houses. In coffee houses. In coffee okay. houses, yeah. With your acoustic guitar. With my acoustic guitar. Okay, uh, got it. Yeah. And it was- uh, Great. It was a, it was by pure accident. I was sitting on the steps of the church playing, and a guy walks by and he stops and he listens to me for a while, and he says, "Hey, you're pretty good. Have you ever heard of the Shea C H E Z?" And I said, "No." He said, "Well, it's a coffee house in the basement of the church up on Ninth Street." He said, "You should go up there on Wednesdays, and on Wednesdays they have open mic, and you should do an audition and maybe you'll okay. get a slot." So okay, one Wednesday wasn't real busy. I grabbed my guitar with no case, sang it over my shoulder like a good old cowboy, and went up to the Shea, and oh my God, and it was Wednesday night, open mic night, and and man, every, I mean, there were a bunch of people there. Okay. You know, everybody's just milling around talking. I know nobody. Uh, and uh, eventually, they, uh, they, they, they called my name, you know, Earl Turner, and imagine... Do you remember those spools uh, that they used to wrap wire on cable? On? Uh-huh. The yep. wooden spools? Yeah. Well, where those were tables. Okay. Those were the tables Got in it. the coffee house. Yeah. Uh, it's a basement. It's a low ceiling. It's a stage that you take one step and you're on it. One microphone. Okay. One light. Yep. That's it. And a stool. And how many people would show up for the open mic night? Oh, I don't know. Bunches. A probably. Lot, a lot of people. Probably okay. 30. Okay. I mean, you got to remember, this place wasn't much bigger than your room. You know, okay. The studio that you're in right now. You know? so, you, so you get an opportunity to go up and sing one song? I get an opportunity to go up and I think do like 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did. Do you remember what you played? No. Not I could not begin to tell you. I have no idea. I have okay. no idea. Probably sitting on the dock of the bay or okay. know, or something. I don't know. I have. But it went well, obviously, right? They offered me the eight thirty slot on Saturday night. Nice. Are you kidding me? Oh man, eight thirty slot on Saturday night. You must have been through the roof, right? Oh man, I was I was beside myself. I mean, they didn't pay, but at least I got to play. You know, there was no pay. And you got tips though, I bet, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> did they give you? Did they give you coffee? Not that I remember. <laughs> no, no, man. So it was. It, it, was, it the was the thing. It was, it was. Think of the exposure. It was yeah, one of those. That's all it was. Man. <laughs> I mean, because if you were at the Shea at eight thirty on Saturday night, oh my God, that was yeah. huge. That time, okay, was huge. <clears throat> So, I mean, and we were just so happy to be playing music. We didn't care if right. we got paid or not. Okay. Uh, okay. Came okay. Later. That, that okay. Came later. When am I going to get paid? That came later. All right. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Yes. Because There's when I, me to tell. When, one of the first times that I ever came to Vegas, I remember the buzz was about this guy named Earl Turner who had a show at the Rio mm-hmm. and he had a, a free a free show in the lounge mm-hmm. but they were turning it into a ticketed show mm-hmm. and it was a really big deal mm-hmm. back then because it had really never been done before right so uh, 
I know we're jumping forward, but I, but I want you to tell me about that and how that came to be because uh, the, those who are listening now who have never seen Earl Turner perform, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you that he is one of the most dynamic, charismatic, energetic performers that, that you will ever see. Um, it's, if there's a 200%, he's given 250%. Every time he goes on stage. So you cannot look away when Earl's performing. So I I just wanted to let people know that. But tell me about how that happened, Earl. That was one of the most difficult times in my life. And 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 I'll say this, I'll announce this to you. I'm in the process of writing a book. And it's called Beneath the Bio. Hmm. And, uh, you know, what you just my introduction was basically the bio and the bio is glossed over material of your accomplishments. But it doesn't really go below the surface and tell how you got there. That time in 2000, uh, that time was very, very uh, difficult uh, to do because I was trying. I wanted to do something that had not been done. I want Mm -hmm. them because of my perceived popularity <laughs> you know yeah so yep. the perception no it, you had a popularity but, for sure but because of that i knew that i had gone as far as i could go in the lounges as okay at the okay. other thing is jamie and 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 i tell people this all the time the idea of free entertainment is so foreign to me and it's so in many ways insults me and here's why because your 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 value is gauged by what people will, in a sense, reward how people will reward you, whether it's a, a ticket price or you know whatever it is. That's how your value okay. is gauged. So yeah. so to me, anything that's free has no perceived value. You know. Okay. And yep. and I know that when I was working nightclubs across the United States, man. If you couldn't draw a crowd that would pay to see you, you know, you didn't come back. So right. it was if you were hired in a new club, for example, I go to Little Rock, Arkansas, and there's a new club there, you know, and they're paying me back in those days, you know, four thousand dollars a week. Okay? Yep. They're going to give me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, they're going to see what's going to happen. But if that yep. buzz doesn't get out on Friday, Saturday ain't packed, you're not going to be back. Okay. So when I came to Las Vegas or when I came into the casino industry and they were something they called a lounge and it was free. Oh, that really insulted me. Mm. I took that personally because I'm like, Mm. how can you have people like me working and not and people not pay to see that something? I don't care. I used to work in the Chitlin circuit. It was two dollars. Okay. But at least there was a perceived value. Okay. Okay. And so at any rate, I knew at this time that I had come as far as I could come in the lounges. And I wanted Harris to give me an opportunity to prove that my show had value. Okay. So somehow another, I convinced them to take that risk. And how I did it. Uh, and, and this is something that I try to explain to young people. Um, I try to explain if the, the people are not necessarily going to offer you something, most often you're going to have to ask. Hmm. You're going to have to ask <laughs> uh, because that's how you if, if you don't throw your hat in the ring, then how are people even going to notice you? You know, right. Uh, but 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 a lot of young people think, oh, well, if I'm really good at this, they're going to come. They're going to come and they're going to do this. No, 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 no. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. So mm. you've got to ask. So I asked them. I begged them. And I explained this to my sons. I have begged for jobs. Beg. Give me a chance. When I mm-hmm. got on the road with the review when I was 19, I begged that man for a job. That that band had 13 people, and I begged him, please give me a chance. If you give me a chance, I can show you what I can do. That was the Earl White review. Yeah, that was the Earl White review when I left Columbia, Missouri after that whole fiasco at the job. 
I begged that man to give me a job. And it was because he saw something in me that he gave me that opportunity. They didn't okay, let, so let's talk about that. Let's go back. Let's talk about the Earl White review because that that you you say that was really became your training ground, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. Tell me about that. Well, that you, you, the thing about it was is that was a rotating door. It was a ro- rotate. What do you call revolving door for musicians? Because we weren't getting. Hey, listen, Jamie. <laughs> when I talk about working the door for two dollars. I mean that working the door for ten dollars. Mm-hmm. On in a review, we were working what we called what we called the Chitlin Circuit, which okay. We, we sometimes we worked in clubs that looked like uh, remodeled houses. Uh, sometimes we okay. worked in bars. You know when Jamie when uh, when Jerry talked about working at a bar with a chicken wire. You know in Wyoming somewhere. You know all that <laughs> stuff. That's true. That's what yeah. happening. Some yeah. we worked in all white clubs. Most of the okay. time we worked in all black clubs, but we never made any money. Never. Hmm. The most money I ever got in seven years of working with that band in a week was a hundred dollars, and that wow. happened very, very rarely. Sometimes, <laughs> because you'd have to go to the manager and borrow money sometimes for food, you get an IOU in your envelope. <laughs> well, I was just, just going to ask you, how did you eat? Oh man, very carefully. But you know, you got to understand something, Jamie. There's an expression that says, what do you call a musician without a girlfriend? You know what that question is? Homeless. So when you find yourself, you find yourself a girlfriend. In every town, you better find you one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You better so, find one. Man, so this is a group, you said this is like a 13-piece group. A 13-piece review. And and you're and what are you doing in this group? You're singing and dancing and no, doing it no, all. No, no, because I didn't no. do any of that stuff. No, you're playing. Okay, I played. The, they hired me. Earl hired me because he felt because uh, I told him. He said, "Well, what do you play?" And I said, "Well, I play mostly guitar." Is uh, it you play lead? Nah, I'm just mostly rhythm guitar. Okay, what else? I said, "I play drums." You play drums, yeah. What else you play? You I play bass. You play you play the keyboards, I play the keyboards. So when I went to audition for him, he asked me to do those things, and I okay. did. Not okay. very well, you know, not a virtuoso, but, but enough. You, yeah, good enough, right. Yeah, I mean, I right. could keep good time. I could play right. good rhythm. You know, I could yep. play chords here on the piano, you know, whatever yeah. I need to do. So yeah. he saw something in me, and I think it was more my determination, Mm-hmm. Because he made me drive four hours for the audition. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he hired me in spite of, you know, because he felt like this this kid really, really, really sincere about what he's doing. You know, that's the only reason he hired me because I okay. picked him for the job. And but so, but and so you you played guitar. Yeah. With him, or you did yeah, a little played, bit of everything. I, initially, I played keyboards, not very well, and then eventually, when a, a guitar player would leave. I jump on the guitar. Okay. Drummer would leave. I jump on the drums. Man, I woke up one day, Jamie, Jamie Hausberg. I woke up one day in Boston, <laughs> Oklahoma, and the whole damn band was gone. You hear me? <laughs> Boy, don't tell me nothing about show business. The whole band. And I'm not even going to tell you, but Earl White called me on the phone, and he said, E.T., because he called me E.T. Okay. He was Earl, and his son's name was Earl. So he called me E.T. This was before the movie came out, mind you. <laughs> had to change all that when the movie came out. But for years, my wife, my wife right now, Christine, when she met me, I was E.T. Wow. Okay, I was E.T. I went by E.T. So at any rate, uh, so, at, so at any rate, I remember Earl White calling me, and I, I remember it because I was in Lawton, Oklahoma, and he said, those are gone. And I said, what are you talking about, Earl? He said, the band. They gone. <laughs> <laughs> the whole band. So whole what band. happened? The next thing I know, Earl White has gone to some town and he has rounded up some more cats and I teach them the entire show and we are doing the show that freaking weekend. Oh, I wow. did that so many times. You can't even begin to imagine. Wow. Well, that's how I learned. That's how I learned the leadership part of it. You know, okay, uh, okay. How to, but you know, but where did you make the transition 
from being a musician in a band to being the guy out front singing? That, and That happened gradually. Uh, that happened later on when I went to work in the country western band. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you got to tell that story. Okay, so I got to leave Earl White, okay? It's seven years, and I'll tell you what okay. happened uh, very in brief. Earl, Earl had had a song that was charting on Billboard when I came into the band. Okay. Some of the guys in the band had written the song and decided they were going to take the song and lead the band. So they oh. did. So I, I believe that Earl, well, I know. I mean, he felt, you know, burned and, and uh, betrayed and all this kind of thing. He had trust issues anyway, but that mm. definitely didn't help. So years later down the road, five or six years later, he's doing some more recording. And, uh, and we did four songs on the two stars of the show, one female and the other one male, Earl's son. One of the songs I wrote, The Mutant mm. 2, for the female. Okay. Rochelle and I collaborated on the song. She had the lyrics. And um, so we did the song. And we recorded the song. Now, of course, you're a little boy from Missouri, man. All you ever want to see is your name on that record. Spin okay. You know, yep. that's all I wanted, man. You know, I yep. watched so many records spinning on that turntable. I thought <laughs> I could get my name on one of those records. Yeah. But at any rate, uh, we recorded the songs, and uh, long story short, Earl did not give me credit. Oh. But when the records came out, my name wasn't on it. Mm -hmm. And that was, the, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was it. That was it. That was it. That was, that was it. the only thing out of all the years that I had worked for him for free, um, I, I felt that he owed me that. You know, I felt right. that was the least he could do to show his appreciation. I mean, it's a similar, it must have been a similar feeling to you in that, in that mailroom. Exactly. Not getting that job. Right. Right? Yeah. Not getting what I felt that I deserved, that I had worked for. Mm -hmm. Not, not, not given to me, but because I had worked for it and I had, and I had stayed with him. Man, I went through so many musicians. You have no idea. You have no hmm. idea how many times he would call me and say, they go. <laughs> <laughs> again? We'll start again. <laughs> you hear me? And, oh, and so man. I felt that of all the people that had come and gone, that he should have, he should have um, just understood my loyalty. And that, right. that's all I wanted was the credit for, you know, for the work that I had done, for my contribution. Right. That's all I wanted was my name on the record. I didn't want anything else. But he right. didn't get that. He didn't get mm. that. He felt, I'm sure, that if he gave me that, it would give me license to leave or to do something else. That was all sure. I wanted. And I even expressed that to his son, who was still in the band because we had done it. And I said, you've got to understand, because uh, he went by E.W., you got to understand, okay. E.W., that if I don't get, if my name is not on the record as a writer, I got to go. Right. And that was it. And it was all it was all timing. I mean, my first wife at that time was expecting my first son. And so I needed to make at least as I needed to make some money. And I wasn't making yep. any. Um, and so so that it was just timing. So I had to leave. I had to go. So so you so you leave the Earl White Review and you you end up in a country band. Mm -hmm. Because during Earl White's stay, we would wind up homesteading. <laughs> 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 and I think it was whether where wherever Earl White found a girlfriend, all right? So, <laughs> so we would find homestead. I mean, we would homestead and we would home, we homestead in Abilene, Texas. We homestead in Big Springs, Texas. We homestead in, in Biloxi, Mississippi. We'd homestead mm -hmm. in so we homesteaded a lot in Shreveport, Louisiana. Okay. Where Earl had right. teamsters and he had a bunch of stuff going on there. Uh, but, but we homestead a lot in, in Shreveport, Louisiana. So consequently, I would go to bars and whatnot and hear these local bands, uh, all of whom were white. Mm -hmm. And uh, I befriended uh, uh, this, this uh, I went to this club, this nightclub called The Lost and Found, and it was a country western band playing there called The Van Company, V-A-N-N. And, okay. and, and that's, that was, that was so I befriended those, those guys, uh, the leaders of the band, 
And uh, Pat and Charles, Pat uh, was the female vocalist who looked a lot like Olivia Newton-John. Okay. And and Charles looked like the lead singer for Alabama. And I can't think of his name right now. They really. Uh, the thing was, is Charles had leukemia. Mm. And he had been getting treatment for it. And uh, he was going to have to go back for treatment again. So they were looking for somebody to take his place. Because he was the, okay. you know, they were the leaders of So they came to see me. <laughs> oh, okay. Came to see okay. the Pearl White Review to talk okay. to me. You know, cool. And all of a sudden into this black club walks this white, young, white couple. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing here. <laughs> you know, find out They come to see me. They came okay? to see you. So they came to see me. And so we sat down and we talked. Now, Jamie, you got to understand this. See, this is what I know something's wrong with me. OK, you got to understand <laughs> this. So I've never made any any more than one hundred dollars with Earl White. Right. OK. Uh, I don't think. And before I, then, you yeah. weren't making any money playing guitar at the coffee shop. Oh, no, of course not. No, <laughs> no. That's the reason. And so when I say to people, I would do this, it's not about the money. It's about I would do this for free. That's right. the kind of job, you know, when you have the job that you want or the career that it fits you, when you will honestly say, I would do this for free. Right. Right. That's true. That's it. So. So. Know that I did not make any money, but the thing of it was was that they came to see me and they told me uh, that I, I sat down with them and said, you know, have a drink, this and the other. And they said, we'd like for you to come and fill in for Charles. Mm-hmm. He has to go to Houston, MD Anderson, which is a renowned hospital, for a treatment for his leukemia. Okay. And uh, we don't know how long he's going to be gone. I believe that they knew that he mm. probably wouldn't come back. Okay. But they didn't express that to me in any way, shape, or suggest. Mm-hmm. So the thing was, was that, you know, they wanted me to come and they wanted me to start just after the 4th of July. I'll never forget. And they're hiring you to what? To sing? To, to, to play guitar and sing. To play guitar? Play guitar okay. and sing. Just play guitar and sing. Okay. And uh, um, so they said, <laughs> they said, <laughs> Earl, do you think... Uh, and I said, well, I, you know, I said, because I had told people that I was leaving Earl White. I had spread the word around the city. Sure. Well, that's the reason why they came. So, so, and I don't think Earl White to that, until I left, believed that I would actually leave. Okay. Less. So, so they say, so they, 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 so I didn't even ask this. So they say, uh, do you think you could do it for 250 250 a week? Right. Oh right. my goodness. See, this is where some. Okay. Me. So, okay. The, uh, 250 Now, Jamie, you need to understand something. I've never, at MFA, I was making $50 a week. Okay? Right. All company. I was making $50 a week. They say, and, and, you, and you never made more than 100 You never made more than 100 with right. Earl White. Right. So here they're offering you a steady. They're offering me a steady. 250 a week. 250 a week, five nights a week. And do you and so what I said to these people? What did you say? I said, uh, I don't. I don't really think I can do it for that. <laughs> and I know, and you and you know that the same Earl said to me, what are you talking about? What are you doing? These people are offering you a thousand dollars a month, more money you've ever made in your life. Your dad told you you'd never make $500 a week playing that guitar and you are halfway there and you said, you don't think you can do it for that? <laughs> Fool, you better. Now you what, now wait, wait, what, so tell me what possessed you to say that? I don't know. I do not know. <laughs> I do, Jamie, to this. And what, and what I've happened? I've always been like that. I, I have always, because I, I know, because I was smart enough to know even at 25 by that time mm. that when people when people make you an offer, it's an offer. Okay. You know, it's an offer. Okay. So, so what did they say? So they said, well, what, what, you know, what do you think, you know, what do you think is fair? And okay. I thought for a minute and I said, ah, I can do it for 275. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. And they said, okay. And that was it. That was it. Okay. I don't, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, that was it. 
It was done. So you start so you start working for this country band, and how long are you with them? Oh God, I had them for I had them. <laughs> I had them. Uh, I was with them. I was with them for for a minute. Here's the thing you need to understand, Jamie. This was 1977. Okay, going into 78, 1978, and I'm a black guy in a all white country western band in a country western nightclub. That's a novelty. Right, and, you're playing all white venues. Ooh, I'm no, no, I'm just playing this one club. Okay, they owned the club. Oh, they owned the club. Yeah. So you're you guys are the house band the house in this band. place. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. So Got uh, it. you know that was that. So yeah. So so that uh, so that's a novelty. You know, all of a sudden. So I'm out there, and you know, I, I get in. I get in where I fit in. You know, I'm smart enough. Yeah. To know I got to be singing some. And at that time, country had had evolved into something else. It was more. It was more pop than tw- mm-hmm. wasn't so much Hank Williams Senior. It was more Mickey Gilly and 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 Johnny. Uh, whatever I can't even think of his name right now, but but you know it was Kenny Rogers, you know. Yeah, it was Alabama. It had yeah. evolved. And it was a little more pop. So yeah. that you know for me was like, you know, I can do that all day long. Yeah. So yeah. I've been all the wrong place. Right. You know, I'm I'm in there. You know, the Kenny. But it must have been it must have been also nice for you uh, in a sense not. To be in one spot was that nice for oh, you? Yeah, because my son, because of my son, right? You know, so so the, yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it wasn't at that time. It wasn't a matter of me staying home. It was a matter of me finding a job that paid some money. And the funny thing yeah. about it was, and you'll understand this, I just wanted to make more money than my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah. No, and I just wanted, yeah. So, so, so yeah. that that was that was the start of my evolution into a front man. Okay, because I had watched these people in the review. I knew what the the uh, one of the first shows I ever saw, other than James Brown, which was my first, was Ike and Tina Turner. Mm. Oh my God! You know, mm-hmm. for all these people I've been looking at, now I get in the review. That their formula is that. So I've learned from watching the backs. I'm a musical director. I'm leading the band. I've watched the backs of these people. I know what they're doing. You know, I've right. watched them go out and and literally slay audiences. I'm talking right. about some of these singers that we had. Oh man, mm. hey, you know they brought it from the mm-hmm. church. You hear me? Uh huh. Man, I've watched them do. I've watched them do this, and I would think to myself, I could do that. Or I would do that differently. Or, you know, okay. so I'm watching their back. So now I'm going to, I realize the club wasn't really doing all that great. There's a novelty in this black guy being in it. So naturally, hmm. I got to say it, white people got curious. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask you. Yeah. I was going to ask you, yeah. uh, did you have any problems? Oh. Yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I, here's. The interesting thing, I think that talent oftentimes is an overcoming powerful thing. You know, it's like if people can find a way to get at you uh, for any reason, they will. But when you're talented, it's kind of hard for them to deny that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. like. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I went to see the comedian and, you know, he was black, but he sure, you know, and I didn't want to go, but he sure made me laugh. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. So, so, yes, I had. Oh, I mean, you could always feel it. You could always feel, you know, the boundaries. You could always, you know, uh, hmm. you, you could just for me. But you have to understand something, Jamie. It's like the awareness that we have now. Uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and All Lives Matter and this, that, and the other. You have to understand that I was raised to know that my skin color was going to play a major factor in every part of my life. Hmm. So this is not mm-hmm. new to me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's not mm-hmm. it's not like it's a culture shock. You know, when I you know walk into this all white club and there's all white people there, that's not a culture shock to me. But was it a different thing for an all white country band mm-hmm. to hire a black musician? Was that a different thing? Oh hell yes, then? it was yeah, right. The band didn't like it. The band did not like oh, it. No, 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 no. Because not only was I not only was I coming in as the lead singer, I was mm. coming in as uh, the person who was supposed to bring something new to mm. the band, and people okay. were always resistant to change. Uh, I was coming in as the leader. So now all of a sudden you got these four white guys, and they got a black guy in charge. Are you kidding me? Hmm. <laughs> and this is uh, this is Shreveport, Louisiana. Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah, right there on the border of Texas. But I bet you, I bet you want them over. Um, um, I don't. You know what? N- no, not all of them. No, no, okay. not all of them. I mean, I, I I won them over because inevitably I would be the one who was writing them the check. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> you know, I, I won them over because they started to see the crowds. You know, the place went from, you know, it only held 200 people, but okay. from like 30 and 40 on the weekends to you can't get in. Okay. You know? Uh, okay. <laughs> so, man. So they had a lot more girlfriends than they had before. I- <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Oh man! All right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. All right. So, so let me ask you this. So, okay. <clears throat> currently, I'm talking. Let's talk pre-COVID, mm-hmm. right? Because post-COVID is is hopefully right around the corner, but nobody knows, right? right. So, so pre-COVID, um, you you'll go out and headline on on a cruise ship. Royal Caribbean's been been like almost like a second home to you right done a lot of shows for them right um back before hurricane katrina you were headlining in harrah's new orleans right yes um and that was which was what was uh, what year was that now so that was uh 2004 and that, that actually was a great uh that was a great time you had down there oh it was a dream come true it was hard it was very difficult. It was a lot more difficult than I thought that it would be, uh, but I had prepared for that. Okay. Because, um, because uh, quite honestly, uh, the music the music scene in certain cities is very closed or can be very, you know. I mean, it's like I mean, it's like New York. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you don't get in the right, yeah, you know, in the right space. Yep. Hard to get in. Louisiana, yep. Louisiana, New Orleans, the same way. If you're not born in Louisiana, if you don't have that culture, if you don't have that identity, if you don't have those roots, you're an outsider. So, That's right. So, so you you didn't feel that you were, well, am I going to be accepted? Right? Oh, that absolutely. was the big. And, and I strategically planned for it. In other words, um, I when I took the band, I took four of my members from Las Vegas and I hired four people from New Orleans, which was okay. very, very hard to find. Very mm. hard to find. Because, okay. because uh, it, it's just a whole different culture. They don't, it's not as if, uh, it's, it's not as if, it's, it's like they do it for a living, but they don't really do it for a professional living. It's very difficult to, it's very difficult to understand. But like, for example, Musicians come to audition for you in Las Vegas. They know they've got their act together. Okay. okay. Musicians come f- f- to you to audition in New Orleans. They come as they are. Okay. Right? And you have to sift out whether or not that works for you, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Jamming, yeah. for example, jamming in New Orleans. I don't know if anybody hears anybody. <laughs> you know, I don't know if anybody's <laughs> listening to anybody. You know, it's just a different culture, and that's not a bad thing. It's just the yeah. way they do things. Uh, whereas, you know, 
I'm a I'm a very uh, Las Vegas has a very much of a structure to it. Uh, mm-hmm. So so at any rate, and also you got those people who just you know you're from you're you're an outsider. You're an outsider. I mean, yeah. I, I remember one one very very well known artist who refused to come to see my show because she could not believe that they built that theater for someone other than someone in New Orleans. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, well-known recording artist. I won't mention her name, but yeah. Well, I know you had a great run there, and uh, had it not been for Hurricane Katrina, mm-hmm. right? It, it, I'm sure it would have gone for a lot longer period of time yeah. than it did. It would have been great. It would have. Um, and, and so I want to ask you this. I want to ask you, young performers, young musicians, mm-hmm. young songwriters today, mm-hmm. um, what advice would you give to them? It's it's a different world these days with, uh, you know, with the record business the way it is, with uh, the way, even the way performances are booked these days, the way Las Vegas has changed so much. Um, you know, someone who wants to be in the business, what's the advice you give somebody? You know, I think that you have to, if if you're going to do anything, uh, any chosen career, I think that it's really important for you to learn its history. For you to learn its history. If you're going to play keyboards, I mean, you've got to go back and, and study, you know, the people who, you know, who came long before you. You know, they may be well gone. I mean, if you're going to be a performer on stage, I watch some of these shows. For example, I watch The Voice and I watch I watch uh, the American Idol and I watch these shows and I see these people on these shows and they don't know how to hold the microphone. <laughs> and so you've already lost me, mm. you know, because there's such a thing as mic- microphone technique. Yep. You know. Sinatra could go in and record a whole song and they'd never have to do anything because the guy had extraordinary microphone technique. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just a part of, you know, so I I think that it's really, really important. And and I think what's missing is young people don't know. They don't. The artists, many of them don't know. But you'll notice that the artists who rise to the top, if you will, um, the reason they rise to the top is because they have the sensibilities and are aware of those who came before them. Mm. Look at an artist like Bruno Mars. Mm-hmm. Know that he's special. Why? Because he has all that stuff. You look at her. Mm-hmm. She's like a female prince. Right. You know, you look at Alicia Keys. You look, yeah. you know, you see these people who rise to the top, mm-hmm. you know, and it's because they have the sensibilities and understand and know who Stevie Wonder is, you know, who Smokey right. Robinson is, who Paul McCartney is, who Sting is. They understand and they get that. And that's the yep. reason they excel. That's the reason they and there's not necessarily aware an awareness of it as there should be. Uh, but uh, that's the reason they excel. And that's the reason their careers will be so much longer Mm. And the majority of uh, the recording artists today, because the record companies don't care if you're fortunate right. enough to get a record contract. They don't. Mm-hmm. They throw a bunch of stuff out there and whatever sticks. That's what they run with. And if you don't have anything to stick it next time around, guess what? They're not running with you. <laughs> that's right. You know, that's right. That's, so, that's great advice. Yeah, it's great advice, Earl. So, OK, so you're writing a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any idea of the timeline and when this will be finished? I have no clue. I've been okay. writing this book for two years. Okay. I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, but but I think that it will be insightful. I think that it will be interesting because there's so much more to our stories than the bio. Yep. So much more. That's I agree with that 100%. Yep. Um, and where can, where can people find you? Your website? Yeah. Yeah, my website, uh, social media, Twitter, is not uh, so much Twitter, mostly Facebook. Uh, but we'll make I, sure uh, I'll put the links down below for your uh, for your website, so people can, you know, find out uh, a little bit more about you, and um, hopefully more shows coming up once we get 
once we get further along in the and COVID is in the rear view mirror. Yeah, actually, the first show that I have on my calendar, uh, I think, it, well, it's in October. It's a show actually at the Smith Center. My first time there in Myron's Jazz. Great. Great. That's the first Great. thing I have on my calendar. October 2021. Yeah, October 2021. Uh, other than that, I, I am waiting patiently to see what's going to uh, develop in terms of this virus and in terms of protocols and safety yep. measures. You know, I feel fortunate that I made it through the entire year to my vaccines and and did not uh, did not contract the disease. Okay, um, and that's you know that's the best we can do. I think we just, that's right. We just hang. That's in, right. Hang in there. We hang in there. Well, Earl Turner, man, thank you so much for this. This has been a blast, and and thank I, you. I, I I love talking to you. You're very you're a very inspiring person funny person and ju you're just a joy to be around you know one thing that i would say to you or any don't take this stuff too seriously if you're doing what you love to do know this it's seasonal baby it's seasonal you know if you take it so seriously to you until when something happens to you 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 you, you, you feel so beaten that you think you're going to survive. Hey, you know what? Get knocked down seven times, but get up eight. Get back up. You got it. Good luck to you, and I can't wait to see you perform again. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to the Chic Compass Connection podcast. To learn more about Chic Compass magazine, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot -S com. This is Jamie Hosmer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>